Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's up, everybody? Welcome inside the Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. Ryan Buckeye, Josh Shaw here. We are going to party today, Josh, like it's not 1999, but back a decade ago, 10 years. And I'm telling you, that 10 years went extremely fast. 10 years ago, Josh, you were like... 41 years old. So, I mean, we are, you know, we're, we're doing well, but 10 years ago, um, you and I, bo- it's crazy, man. Just thinking like 10 years ago, you and I both were like coming out of school and like becoming an adult or at least attempting to become an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not total. I don't think either one of us are total adult. I don't think you should ever succumb fully to be an adult. I think you need to keep that childhood mentality some way. Um, if not, I think that's when you, you finally just die. Uh, think of the brands 10 years ago. I mean, I, a lot, some of the brands that we're going to talk to talk about today are no longer here or what's crazy. Like Weeder, for instance, is like trying to come back. And like they were, Weeder was like the first sports supplement that I've ever taken in my life in terms of creatine. But they used to, when I had a job and this was 2013, 2014, like they had a whole wall of products at the retail store, at the online at supplement warehouse, the retail store like that. They were still massively big and people were buying it like crazy. It's just, it's amazing in such a short period of time. Cause 10 years is not a long time. Like how much has shifted and changed within our space? Yeah. I think 10 years for most industries, um, not a lot happens. I think because our industry is not all that old. Like if you think about the, I think the, the, recent emergence or like where the growth happened, it's probably points it to, you know, what's that mid mid nineties of like EAS is like when it really kind of took off. I know like there was prior before that and whatever, and and people could watch subs, the movie, if they want to hear all the, the history of all the supplements from back. in I don't know when they first came out seventies or sixty, I can't remember, but, um, the history of where we're talking about, like, it's not all that old of a industry like 25 years really um that's it so like 10 years is massive that's what is that 40 percent of the 40 percent of the uh industry we're talking about here so i thought it'd be fun this is one of these things and this i can't really actually take full credit of this because um dan over at ghost um mentioned me this topic like months and months and months ago and i had it sitting in my huge hopper of of uh, <laughs> topics that i have for my channel I have this like crazy list. I always tell people of like a hundred topics that I just sit on and I just wait till maybe it's something interesting. And I totally forgot about this topic. I wanted to do it at the end of, um, 2019. I thought it'd be great, but, um, I figured what the heck this is, uh, we're in this nostalgic point now where we're sitting in a restricted living situation and we need to look back at the, the better times, the more simpler times in our lives. <laughs> and what was more, fun than the, uh, than the 2010s. I guess maybe the 2000s were a little bit more of the wild, wild west, but like 2010s still had a lot of crazy things that happened. Yeah. I mean, well, 2010s, that that's the decade of, of jacked, right? Like I'm thinking like I graduated college 2009. So I started using jacked around like 2010, 2011. So it must have, when did the jack come out? must've been late 2000s, yeah. 2000, early 2000s, right? Um, yeah, I think it might have got pulled. It got pulled like maybe 2013. So like, the, and I think that's important, like, because there's probably phases of it. Like the early 2010s was like super. It, it doesn't even recognize what we do today. And no. then you had like the mid to mid 2010s, which is like you're starting to make some semblance. And then obviously recency effect, like 
we were just a couple months ago in the 2010. So like there was some things that we talk about all the time, but yeah. And I guess for those listening, let's put in the perspective because I mean, most of our listeners are probably around our age. I mean, we're going to have some OGs who've been around a long, long time, but like, for instance, Cellucor C4, the first pre-workout that, um, that I remember now, I'm not saying it's the first pre-workout ever, but it's the one that I remember most. Cause I was in high school when people were taking it. I believe this was the DMAA or DMHA version, whatever it was like. It was, it was once upon a time, considered one of the best ones out there. Like, I, again, I just mentioned I graduated high school in 2005, so that was around in the early 2000s. Like, Cellucor has been around, right? Because uh, that would I, be... I, Cellu- I, I actually don't know about C4. Um, I thought maybe that might have been early 2010s, but you might that might be wrong. Um, I'm just I thinking, I thought like, I heard of it slow. when I was in high school. Like, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm so fucking old like, now, I'm losing my mind. I'm thinking back to like, I mean, there was NO Explode when we were, that was like early, you know, 2005, four, six, seven, you know, all those types of things. But like, I'm thinking about during that time you had the, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Early 2010, you had C4, um, you had Assault Muscle Mm -hmm. Farm, which obviously I was kind of big part of. Um, Josh formulated Assault and came up with the marketing plan and made that company seven figures and they paid him four. That last fact might be right, but yeah. <laughs> um, but there was, I think there's a trend. I think we could probably follow through the through the decade of this, like emergence or like the I guess introduction or the rise of like energy drink pre workout. Like that was really the 2010s had this like that was really when it became the second biggest category mm. in our space. Like you had in the beginning of the of that time frame, I think you had a lot of the like more efficacious dose, larger, uh, pre's, um, that were in there. I think assault was one that was kind of really big. Um, you saw it NO explode that had a pretty hefty scoop size. And then you had like that micro dose phase where it was like just designer stemmed out the wall. You know what I mean? That was like the, the, um, <laughs> designer I think Jack 3d, yeah. the, yeah. the, uh, the driven craze, I don't know, like uh, that, yeah, you know, I remember that stuff with the amphetamines in there. And then I think you had it back transition back over, like when gym, uh, pre gym and stuff came out, like a lot of that moved back into like these like hefty dosages. Again, people were, were claiming, you know, all that stuff, the micro dose was full of shit, which totally was, it was just a bunch of stims. Um, but, uh, that was kind of like that rise of what's going on. And now it's like such a, you know, arguably, behind protein like if you don't have protein in, in uh, pre-workout like are you really a sports nutrition brand it's i mean this is a good plug we can we can make a plug for alex ardenti right now and his his sports nutrition documentary which is on like amazon and all these different platforms because it and when i watched that like this was pre-2010s but they go back to like I mean, in 19, I don't know, was it like 1980s, they had Ultimate Orange? I mean, like, so, like, we could go way back. But, yeah, I mean, 2010s, that area, and you mentioned prior to that was the Wild Wild West. I think early 2010s was still Wild Wild West. Um, But it was actually a fun, exciting time because there was always something new and something better and something promising you something that the other one couldn't be doing. But, I I mean, the the rise, like, you might know this, what the financial rise – of this industry in that time period, I, I don't know how quickly it jumped up or how fast, but I, I have to imagine, especially with like, like Jack and Oxy Elite, and then obviously No Explode was huge, but like the creation or the popularity of the pre-workout energy drink exploding, becoming the number two category behind protein. I mean, that just like 
skyrocketed quickly. Um, and, and I got to imagine the amount of dollars that got poured into this space during that time. A lot of people got rich. A lot of people got rich. Now some of those people are sitting in prison. But people got rich, man. They got rich. They got rich quick. And, uh, I mean, I probably used every little thing that was on the market at that point. When I, actually, I never used Craze. And I'm mad that I never got to use it. Only because, like, I hear people talking about it. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because I never got – did you take it? I, I did, yeah. It's um, – I don't remember exactly, like, what the compound was that was in there. But, it, I mean, it was – Essentially, um, putting a little bit of Cialis like in? Adderall, like oh, okay. like type of you know like type of uh, material. It's a uh, like a meth analog or something. I think that was. <laughs> well, I know there was like there was a brand that got caught lacing it with like Tadlafil or Cialis too, and like something. I don't know if it was a pump product or if it was a pre workout, but like that. Yeah, that was yeah, that was. I, that happened a few times, I think, actually. Um, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, too. I mean, you, you think about the a lot of those ones, like if you were to get um, some of the um, base ingredients of like Adderall or like you said, um, Viagra or Cialis or whatever, like, and you get it from the bulk over in China, like per kilo is super cheap. Like if you were able to just sprinkle a little bit of that into things, the product became so much better. And, and normally what happened, this is this is kind of, uh, hearsay, I won't, you know, out anybody, but like, you know, your first couple of, of, uh, runs, if you were to put some of those things in there, then people were hooked on it. Yeah. Then you can pull it out unless you're super greedy and then you kept it in there, um, to keep it going. And then eventually you got caught. But uh, the, um, I mean, I was even thinking about like, we even had pro hormones I was in that, that first part of the thing. Like I think 2014 was when they did the final like big pull of all the pro hormones out of there. But like the early 2010s, you still had a lot of the um, you know pro hormones that were in there that weren't taken away with the first band that was whenever that was in maybe the early 2000s. The technical term for them was pro hormones. They were designer steroids. They were oral steroids, and like that's how fucking crazy things were. And and I reason why is like. I took them in 2009, 2010. I took them and I fully believe, and I've said this on a podcast before, I fully believe that's why like my natural test levels just are, are just were shit and tanked and why I'm on TRT now because I was taking it because they had this promise. It's like, hey, it's just like steroids without the side effects. I've heard that before. I hear it all the time with like SARMs and things now. I mean, that, that messed your boy up a little bit. But I mean, I took them and I was one of many people walking into say a complete nutrition who was notorious for selling these damn things. Um, but they are out there and the, the amount of damage probably done to our human bodies during that time period, you know, whether it be from the pre-workouts, the pearl hormones or whatever it was that was laced. And we weren't taking, you know, supplemental supplements, different supplements to help combat some of the side effects. For instance, like when you take an oral pearl hormone that has testosterone in it, you are being hard on your kidney and liver, like super hard, but nobody knew that because we were told like they were, you know, obviously the sales rep probably knew, I don't know. But they weren't telling us that they were steroids. And even then, like, most people didn't have enough education to understand, like, hey, if this is an oral steroid, I probably should be taking things for, you know, X, Y, and Z, too. So it was, it was a crazy time. But I think during that crazy time, what happened, though, is, like, yeah, the, I mean, you can say, and people say it all the time, like, our industry isn't regulated. That's, that's not true. It is regulated. And I think during that time period, it became maybe more regulated or at least more, like, more things kind of came down the pipe and, and started taking these things away from us. So, um, you know, the Pro Hormone and Steroids Act of 2014, is that the year? I can't remember what year it was. But, like, yeah. that banned and took a lot of this stuff off the shelves. And people were pissed. 
people people are still pissed. I think because the poor hormones they buy today are definitely nothing like they were back then. So, um, and then you you get the people who will say, well, like this is why government regulation sucks. No, I mean, hey, I agree. Like I'm a libertarian as well, but sometimes they need to kind of come in and say, like, you can't be selling this to teenagers. You just can't do it. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> We've talked about that on, on another episode, just where like both of our, our thoughts are like you legalize everything. I think you'd, you'd save a lot more money if you just uh, demystified a lot of these things. But then you get into the point of like some of these more enhancement type products and you think like, you know, is there should be age limits? You know, you got to put in the safeguards um, in there. And, and at that time, there wasn't any of those safeguards because, I mean, those things were sold everywhere. It was sold online. They were sold in every store. I mean, still to this day, I mean, you go into a local sub shop and regardless if they have it in the um, back room or in the glass cases or whatever, they got some stuff that, uh, you back know, room in the trunk. would not be all that. Yeah, it would, it would, not, would not be allowed. But um, that's probably even more sketchier than what it was before because before it was at least um, manufactured in some semblance of a of a, of a legit facility because it was still legalized. Um, but now it's like nobody legitimate would touch it with a 10 foot pole. But, um, during, during, I was also thinking, what, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, I was thinking about also just like some of the other kind of trends that, that happened over the 10 years. Um, and one of them was around like how the, like the packaging and the branding got so much better. Like mm -hmm. how before I think it was all like, if it, if it, um, looks good, then it must be, um, must be trying to rip you off. Like it was always this like, you know, kind of terrible labels and just like, look like it was on uh, Microsoft paint or whatever. And it was just like terrible compositions. Then 2010s kind of rolled around and you started to get these like brands that looked like proper, uh, consumer packaged goods brands and they were set up right. And they, 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 they just looked better. Um, yeah. and it kind of, evolved that part of it that made these products become you know more mainstream or accepted by a lot of other consumers that would look at it and go ah this is not um like some shady stuff this is mm -hmm. this looks great this looks beautiful i think that um again not, not like patting on the back but we talked about this before like muscle farm that like rebrand in in 2011 um i think really upped a lot of people's games after that and now you're seeing you know somebody like ghost or, or something like that that's like you know their kind of lineage just goes back to that point of like these big, bold packaging that looks really good. Um, I think that really helped um, throughout the 2010s as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my mind immediately went to like Muscle Farm, obviously. I think they did a wonderful rebrand during that time. I think No Explode when they came out there with their V2, which was, I mean, people involved with BSN at that point will tell you it was a shitty pre-workout and like the worst thing they could have done in terms of the formulation. But the product design or package design was a little bit tweaked from the initial but it was more pretty um and present more because think about this too if if you're listening and and you're a consumer during this time period what what became popular during this time period direct to consumer and online buying like it became super super popular yes you could buy online pre-2010 yes you could but amazon didn't become a, a thing really in sports nutrition until like 2014, 2015. Like that's when they started kind of getting their own thing. And then they became a title sponsor at the Olympia, I think in 2014 might've been the year. But like, you know, bodybuilding.com was still kind of like where you went to get your stuff. Where I worked at, supplementwarehouse.com is where you went to get your stuff. And like we had an old Magento server. The website was not pretty. 
then all of a sudden WordPress and Shopify and different things of that nature kind of came out. And now these brands were able to sell directly to the consumer. And that changed the game because it changed not only uh, – it just changed the retail landscape as a consumer. You didn't have to walk into a mom-and-pop store anymore. You didn't have to go to GNC. You didn't have to, like, give all your money to bodybuilding.com. And that was, like, during that time period, that was such a, a huge shift in our industry that – you look and I mean, any brand owner will tell you they want to do majority of their sales probably direct to consumer because they get the most margin. You can sell it for $39.99. That product costs you, you know, twelve dollars to make. You cover shipping, maybe you're gonna get the most. And plus, then you own that consumer data. That that's priceless. So that was a huge thing. The other big thing too. I mean, you talked about microdosing and I guess the explosion. Um, pun intended, of the pre-workout category, but you mentioned gym and this whole concept of full transparency. Now, I'm not saying gym was the first one to pioneer do it. Nutribio was right there with them, but gym was the one that sort of popularized it at that point. I, I mean, I honestly, I knew about gym well before I knew about Nutribio. The only reason I knew about Nutribio is because gym said something that Mark Laser of Nutribio didn't appreciate, did a YouTube video on it, and that was probably 2014, 2015 in that area. But then, like, this whole product education and consumers starting to become cognizant of, like, yeah, why, why do I feel that way when I take a scoop of Jack? Like, what is in that product? Well, I can't tell because there's, you know, there's 17 things listed, and it says it's all this makes up this. Then you had Jim, and you had these brands come out and do product education. So there were, there were a lot of shifts. Like, you had – and that's the funny part. Like, you had this explosion of the pre-workout category, microdosing, prop blends, early 2010s, mid-2010s. Now you have full disclosure – you have brands shitting out of their brands for using prop blends. Then you have direct-to-consumer, which now allows brands that do full transparency to educate the consumer. So it's been like kind of a ladder effect. And I think like we're in a good spot now in 2020, a much better spot in 2020 than, than we were in 2010. Um, some people might argue 2010 was a lot more fun. There, there was a lot more money probably made because um, there was a lot less competition. But I, I would much rather take 2020 than 2010 any day, personally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I, mean, I think – during those early days of 2010s, um, a lot of the focus was how do we sell more online? And that was through still an intermediary, like you mentioned, like bodybuilding.com, um, Sup Warehouse, you know, Netrition, Vitacost, mm -hmm. uh, DPS Nutrition, DPS, like all these yeah. things you think about. A lot of them now, like, I'll don't pump really you up. exist, um, <laughs> or they are barely, you know, kind of trickling along. Uh, but that was like the big focus, even though you still had, I think, um, GNC and vitamin shop hitting their peak in the mid 2010s for store counts and, and revenue and wherever. But then you had that transition, like you mentioned towards the Amazon and then also direct to consumer and the Amazon thing. I mean, I was thinking back to like some of the, some of the brands there because, um, that was also a really big shift. Like there's a lot of Amazon only brands that um, don't get enough of credit that are doing tens of millions of dollars in yes. um, one exact only site. That's it. That's all they're doing. And I think back to like one of the earliest ones um, and they've had some things change up. So I looked at it recently and it's totally different, uh, but sheer strength. Um, they were like kind of the one of the OGs. There was also um, old school labs, was another OG that was they're still kicking now. They're still doing pretty good. Um, and then also like Jack Factory and um, uh, Robert Oliver's uh, genius? genius brand. Yep. I think like more recency effect of like the last probably three, four years or whatever. But like those brands were never um, possible pre 
Amazon when it got into there. These guys that started those brands were hardcore search um, marketers, hardcore, like they understood the game much differently. For them to go out and have to sell products to like Joe's supplement shop, mm -hmm. the good old boy down the, down the they wouldn't be able to do that. Right. These guys were different, had a different skill set. And Amazon helped them do that. And similar to like, you know, direct to consumer, it's like the people that are doing really good at that understand digital marketing, understand social media marketing better than anybody else. They understand how to build communities and, and personas and, and market to those things in a profitable way and, and use content. Like those things in the early 2010s, that didn't exist. Like you were, I think 2009 or so was like when Facebook first started like the Facebook pages mm -hmm. and for businesses. So like at the beginning, you just utilized it to like tell people about sales. And, and arguably some people still do that wrongfully, but like the um, social media was utilized in such a weird way back then. It was not like we think about it today where it's like community management and building um, out like a customer base and, and actually using it as like your own media company. You're absolutely right. And that, it's funny to think of the genius brand. Cause I, I know Robert and I've worked with the genius brand in the past and it's their story is pretty cool. I mean, like he was, I think we've talked about this before, but like he was selling services to other sports nutrition brands and realized when they didn't want part of it or they weren't signing up for it, he's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And he created a brand, I think, in partner, I don't know if it was with his dad or somebody. Anyway, they created the Genius brand, and it quickly rose to the top of Amazon ranks and did a really good job because he understood search. Now, they tried to take that from Amazon, and I think Bodybuilding.com, maybe some other vitamin shops, some retailers, and I don't think it did that great. Outside of Amazon, I don't, I don't know the numbers, and Robert, if you're listening, you can correct me, but I feel like they were good at search. So where they would kill would be in Amazon. Now, Amazon could essentially look at that brand, though, too, and say, okay, well, they're making all this money on this product. Let's just create an Amazon brand and do the same thing. Uh, but then, you know, they should have done decent on Google. But, you know, going outside the Amazon walls, it, I, don't, I don't think it did as well. And, and the same, like, I just got asked the other day about Jack Factory. And I was like, I've heard the brand before. I've never used it. Well, there's a reason why I never use it. It's an Amazon-only brand. Like, I typically, you know, I, I typically don't dive into that world. And there's such a, there's, it's a large world out there. Like Amazon only brands, there's a lot of them. And you named five or six of them there. Most of them I've never heard of. And I am, you know, in this space. And the reason I don't hear of them is because they're not on the radar of, of people who shop outside of Amazon. If you're buying, you know, bodybuilding.com, direct to consumer, going through Google, half the time these things don't show up. But if you go to Amazon, type in creatine or pre-workout, these might pop to the top and be one of the most, you know, recommended or Amazon preferred brands. So, um, but I remember when Amazon became a thing, how many brand owners bitched to you, Josh, about it? Like how many people called you in bodybuilding.com and they were like, Amazon's killing the industry. Are they? I mean, I think like th they were instrumental in helping the industry grow. I think a lot in terms of it gave opportunity to other brands and every brand out there had an opportunity to be on Amazon. So if you didn't take that opportunity, that's on you. That's not Amazon's fault. Like you had an opportunity to learn that platform, be on that platform and probably do well on that platform. I admittedly do not know enough about Amazon, selling on Amazon. It's one area that I'm extremely weak in and I want to learn more about, um, but it's still a very, it can still be a very lucrative platform for you, or at least if nothing else, to price protect your products. So that way, you know, third-party listings aren't killing your map pricing. Yeah, Amazon's probably still one of the most misunderstood platforms um, out there. It's, it's amazing still in 2020 how many conversations you have with brand owners that just do not understand um, just what it provides and also a lot of the things that it could potentially do to hurt your, hurt mm -hmm. your business. There's just a lack of understanding. It's a, it's a such a complex, um, business that a lot of times it's just not thought through the right lens. But, um, 
you know, in the same vein, I was thinking about like you build these brands off of Amazon, but thinking like back prior to that, we talked a little bit about Jim, but like the bodybuilding.com era of like the mid 2000s where they were like either partnering exclusively or like in part ownership of some of these brands that they were building where you had like you had Jim, um, I think you had like caged muscle, you mm-hmm. had be that like um, RSP, RSP, you yeah. had uh, Ev- Evolution, you had, I was thinking about like all these brands. Uh, is there more? And it's still or a thing more? too. It's still yeah, a thing. Like, they want to be they've there. transitioned, but like they kind of got their start or they got their um, gasoline under their fire um, by bodybuilding.com being right. like an exclusive brand. Um, EVL, and, big one. Yeah. And like still today, like these, a lot of those brands are still in existence doing well, you know, whatever. But like there's, there's these phases of like that got these brands got built because of certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously there's a lot of other reasons why some of these brands did well, but like you could point to like some central areas and say, yeah, that was part of the reason why they, they grew so fast, um, in this industry. That it's so funny because when I sat in a, in a bodybuilding.com meeting, like that conversation came up, like they're still super interested in equity in equity stakes, and and they've been burned, <laughs> they've been burned a lot from these things, right? Like brands will you leverage a platform like BBCom to get big, and then they bounce, and that's a risk that they. And then I think I don't know if that's part of bodybuilding's. I mean, because going back to that era of the 2010s, bodybuilding.com was for the most part, for at least the most majority of that, was the place where we all went. We liked the free gifts. Shipping was fast. They had absolutely fucking everything pretty much for the most part and then there was a shift at some point i think the direct to the consumer model was like we don't need bodybuilding.com anymore like bbcom there's this mentality was like in the beginning it's like we need to be on bodybuilding.com to be relevant and then there was a shift where it was like bodybuilding.com needs us to be relevant and i don't did you know when that shift happened it was definitely during the 2010 periods yeah it was somewhere i think in the mid 2010s i think it was around a lot that happened, I think, with um, Amazon and just how much power that started to have with brands. Um, and it wasn't that they were running their own, they were just seeing how much power that that had. And then it was, to your point, also like that shift into direct-to-consumer that happened a little bit more, because that, that kind of happened in phases. There was a lot of brands mm-hmm. that were early on it and they did a pretty good job at that transition, but then you still had a lot of brands, and still to this day, like you still have some brands that um, stay away from it or they price things like $20 more than they get. Like they try to uh, avoid having people go there, um, which you know, doesn't make any sense to me, but like, it's just one of those things where I think they've, the channel conflict thing has always been a, an issue. And I think with bodybuilding.com, when they started to get in that war with Amazon, um, with a lot of the BOGOs, they were doing a lot of like the crazy intense promotions, um, that turned off a lot of brands because their brands were getting diluted. Um, and then when they were, trying to offer those products to GNC or vitamin shop or anybody like a lot of people were pointing to that and saying, Hey, like I could buy your product on a BOGO cheaper than I could buy it on wholesale. Like how, like how does this work? And you're constantly running BOGOs on bodybuilding.com. And it just kind of created this weird um, thing that just didn't make much sense for brands. And they started to have to think about bodybuilding.com differently. Um, and it just kind of shifted everything. It's crazy because that still exists today like you can sometimes buy things cheaper through retail um on specials and in case case in point like people probably know that ghost is not necessarily available outside of gnc at least domestically um you know gnc and ghost.com but you know ghost would run a buy one get one or buy one 50 percent off supplement stores would buy a bunch of it and then they would put it in their stores and then they could they could tell it and be like hey we carry ghosts now they never once went through ghost they bought it through gnc and i don't 
there's nothing illegal about that. I mean, you you bought and resell like you're buying it, you yeah. can resell it. Um, but I've seen I've seen Facebook ads for retailers <laughs> promoting that they carry ghosts because they did that. Like that's that's what they've done, um, which is extremely crazy to me. But as we wrap up this episode, Josh, I want to do like our final take. Like, what was the best thing from that 2010s era, and then what do you think was like? One of the worst things from that area. So let's, do you want to start with the worst or do you want to start with the best? We could start with the worst, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of like, what's the norm? Like, do you always leave on the, on the good note? I mean, I, I feel like sometimes we leave on the bad notes on our, on our podcast. Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're a media company. That's what you do. You leave people <laughs> fearful for their lives every day of the week. We've had a whole episode on this, Josh. <laughs> Um, yes. I can start. I mean, the worst things of the 2010s, I kind of lose it. I thought, I thought the Pearl Horn era was like the worst thing in the 2010s because I, I think uh, they did more damage than good for people. And there are going to be people out there being like, you know what, I, I, I miss those. I love them. That's cool. You can yeah. – I would – on record, I'd say I would rather take an anabolic steroid than those Pearl Horn ones back in the day. Like in a heartbeat, I would do that. So um, I thought that was uh, – just, just because there were so many teenagers, like 18, 19, 20-year-olds going and buying this shit. And it, it messed them up. And I was one of them. And, um, you know, now, like I have to, you know, deal with that shit every single day the rest of my life because of what I think the damage I believe I've done um, to myself from back in that era. I thought it was just terrible. Um, but that also, you know, it falls on my shoulders as a consumer for not educating myself. But I don't think the sales reps knew what the hell they were selling either. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. A different answer but honestly that's where i was going to go as well and it, it has nothing to do with like um not having these things on market i think a lot of it was that um it was misled uh, people were misled mm -hmm. um, to believe it was a lot safer than what it was um, and i think that that ended up just putting us really big in a hole early on in the 2010s i think we've been able to dig out of it um we still have obviously our problems but like i think there's been um that was kind of a, a low point of our recent history and i think we've been able to dig out of it i think a lot of good things came from that time frame of the early 2010s to your point of like people looked at that and said we need to do better um be it uh the government telling us to do that or just companies just naturally doing better on their own and, and pulling other people up with them. I think that that was um, one of the you know, low points, but ultimately was where I think everything turned uh, for this industry. Yeah. And, and then my, my highlight is, you know, I can sit here and say, I think direct to consumer or the, the development of digital retail um, is by far a huge highlight. But for me, because I'm such an advocate for education and transparency, I think the popularization of Full label transparency was the best thing that came out of that era for me personally. I, I think – now that's not to say you know, what they're saying on the label is actually in the product. I, I can't sit there and tell you like if it's listed on the label, that's exactly what the product is. But it finally gave us an avenue as a consumer to educate ourselves a little bit more because now we at least think we know what's in that product. So whether it be Jim, Nutribio, um, you know, companies now like Ghost who are doing full label transparency – I think for me as a consumer, as an advocate, as a nerd, um, that's that's my biggest positive takeaway from this era is like we got away from prop blends a little bit. I mean a lot of it now, but it gave us an opportunity to really dive into maybe the science, the safety, the efficacy behind these ingredients because now we kind of know like what it is that we're, we're getting per serving and we can you know obviously do the research ourselves through platforms like mine or Priceplow or Stacked or whoever does product education, um, it gives us that avenue to do so. Yeah, I'm thinking, I mean, this is um, more outside the industry, but it kind of helped. It was just the 
uh, social media, just how, mm. how big that became, um, and how that helped kind of, let's say democratize the industry in the sense of like, you're able to then create, um, and tell your story in the way that you want to. And, it, and you don't have to go through existing gatekeepers mm -hmm. to, to do that. You can create a brand how you'd like to create it and tell the story how you'd like to do it and find your community of people um, across the globe without having to um, you know, water it down with a bunch of like the existing models. I think that that's really taken our industry um, in so much, it takes, I mean, it's taken business in so many different ways. And I think that that gives the opportunity to um, have those low barriers of entry of, of you know, your messaging, your marketing, and you're able to get out there. And then on the flip side, it's like, you know, the ability to have a direct to consumer and have the ability to set up distribution globally in a few clicks of your, your mouse. It's like those two things completely changed the industry. You no longer have, you know, the, the good old boys, the gatekeepers, whatever, like you're able to just do things the way you want to do it. And there's really kind of provided everybody the same opportunity. If you have uh, you know, a really good idea and, and a really good um, skill set. Um, you can you know, take and really make a lot of money in this industry. It's just a matter of um, being able to do it. So I think that has really pushed our industry to to broaden the amount of like the types of people that are in the industry. And we talked about this in a previous episode. I think that diversity of thought, ultimately in the 2020s, I think we're going to look at this and go, that was the start of like where our industry really took off. I can't believe we went 33 minutes in this whole episode talking about the 2010 era and we didn't mention shreds until now because you just mentioned oh social media God, we did. and we just mentioned <laughs> social media and I'm just thinking over here, shreds made millions of dollars on Instagram and now they're gone. But there's people from that it's shreds team who are still trickled throughout this industry. A lot of people. I, I literally, I, it's funny cause I had, I had some like common themes that I wrote down before this episode, just touch on and the one that was on the bottom was influencers and we didn't touch on it at all so i'm glad that you and i think because we beat it to a dead horse on all these episodes that like we we try to like talk about new things but like yeah like shreds um, with a z hey with a z i mean regardless of <laughs> what transpired they did so uh, good maybe they 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 can be um looked at as like you know fundamentally changing the industry as well because Huge, absolutely of like now we can make fun of them all we want yeah. now, but yes, they they did something that nobody else was doing. Yeah, definitely. Subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.